Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Can't get over that. You know, it's still Easter. It's still a good uh, time to say hallelujah. For a season, you don't get to say that. We have good reason to say hallelujah today. We hear the great passages that constitute what we have come to know as Good Shepherd Sunday. Psalm 23, I mean, we do psalms every Sunday, and sometimes you see, oh, I never read that psalm before, but you can't say that about Psalm 23. Everybody knows it, right? In fact, uh, you probably do it by heart, but you probably get annoyed because it's not the King James, right? I mean, it's so beautiful in the King James. But it's, it's interesting, you see, <clears throat> throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, God takes care of his people. He cares for them, and he does what is right for them. From Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, well, that's a, that's a particular, particularly harsh pastor, uh, passage for pastors because uh, there's the people who are supposed to be leading the people are not doing the right things. They're taking advantage of them. And God tells them that he will do away with them and he'll lead his people. And we see him do that in Christ, where Christ says, I am the good shepherd. Being a shepherd is one thing. And, you know, uh, we talked about it a little bit in Bible study this morning. You know, what is the rod? What is the staff? What's the practices of a shepherd? But instead of getting into all the minutiae of shepherding practices, because really it changes depending on the place that you're in. You know, some shepherds use uh, dogs, right? Um, I think I read recently, I said this in Sunday school, that in France, I think they use this, this breed of giant donkey because they can actually ward off wolves. And so, I mean, it depends on if you want to see your pastor as a sheepdog or a donkey, I'll leave that up to you. Um, Some days are better than others, I guess. But you see, you see that whoever is tending to the sheep, they are ones who take commands, take orders from the good shepherd. And we see that God takes provisions for his people in many different ways. He's known as a father, right? He's known as the bridegroom. He's known as the Good Shepherd. And in all these instances, it is the office that takes care of those that are subordinated to him, right? And I I didn't know this until I became a father, just what it is that you do for your kids, just what it is that you will do for your kids. You think about it. Sometimes it keeps you up at night thinking, oh, man, what's going to happen How am I going to deal with this, right? How am I going to deal with my kids going out into the world and facing all the harsh realities, facing mounting ridicule for their faith? How am I going to handle that? How can I protect them? How can I see them through it? It reminds me, and you know, I'm kind of mixing the metaphors here, but Uh, Before I became a pastor, and I've told this story to some of y'all before, before I became a pastor, I uh, 
got a master's in youth ministry um, from Huntington University. Um, And one of our professors at one point, you know, it was multi-denominational, but there was, there, was one, there, was, there was one professor who gave this great story, and he said, you know, it, to him, it was a great picture of God's providence and care. And he was telling the story about how he was with a, a bunch of kids, uh, the youth group or whatever, at, at a certain um, theme park that shall not be named. You know, this isn't a commercial for it. But they were at a certain theme park, and it was hot, and he and his wife, you know, they're hanging out with the kids in the youth group, but they're off doing their thing, and they're just like, they're on a ride. I am burning up. I got to get some air. I got to get into some AC. So there's this rotunda that they could go into, and it was completely enclosed. They got air conditioning. They go in there. They're the only ones in there, and it's kind of neat because it's this round space, and on the ceiling, there's this uh, painting, a, a mural. I forget what the scene was, but, I mean, it was beautiful. And they're just kind of hanging out on the peripheries. And then from out of the hot sun, this couple comes in with their son. It's a little toddler. And he's in a stroller. And he is passed out. He is dead to the world, tired, asleep. And his parents wheel him into the center of the room. And he's still asleep as they start taking off his his shirt and his shoes and his pants. And they get him down to his diaper to cool him off, right? He's just sweat. And he's still asleep as they're doing all this. And he's just there in the stroller. And then... Because of the cool air, it stimulates him a little bit, and he wakes up, and he looks, and he sees this mural, right? This beautiful scene painted on the ceiling. And my professor was watching all this happen, and he says, and he leans over to his wife, and he sees this kid's eyes, and he's just just in rapture of what he sees. And the professor leaned over to his wife, and he says, look at that. He thinks he's in heaven. You know, and then you see this kid, and his eyes are just fixed. And the dad picks up his son out of the stroller, sets him down in the center of the room, and the kid still has his eyes up. And then he just kind of brings his look, his his gaze down, and then just looks around. And then, as kids are wont to do, he takes off and he starts running all over the place, screaming and laughing and hollering. And he's just running around, running around. And it's like, I could, you know, as a single guy listening to this, I was like, oh, okay. I guess that's what kids do. <laughs> Having a kid of my own that will do that, I'm just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. They'll just go off and they'll, ta- they'll just take off. And the great thing was is that the big part of that story was that the kid is running around all over the place and there are doors on every side that he could easily just run right through and run to the outside to the world beyond, which is dangerous, right? It's perilous. They could have lost him if he could have gotten out. But instead, it's funny because the parents were watching that little boy, and they saw where he was going every single time. 
And they headed him off at the pass every single time. As soon as he got to a door, they were there. They stopped him, turned him around, and they sent him back into the room. And you may be wondering, you may be asking yourself, what does this have to do with anything about being a Christian, about being a sheep with a good shepherd, or a child of the Heavenly Father? But he said that was a great picture of God's divine grace and provision for his children. That as soon as we are about to run out of his grace, as soon as we are about to take the exit, he's right there. He holds on to us, turns us around. Sometimes he pats us on the butt, right? Sends us back in. Sometimes he tells us, no, 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 don't do that. Sometimes he tells us, it's okay, go play. And he sends us back into his grace, back into his boundaries of his will, which are good for us, right? And you see that, uh, he said, he, he used this as, as, a, <clears throat> as a means by which we could say that we live freely within God's grace. And he said, I could stand exactly under the center point of God's grace, and I could say, well, one centimeter to the right, one inch to the left, one foot forward, and then I'm, in, I'm directly in the center, or I could just play and enjoy God's provision and grace for my life, knowing that if I get to his bounds, he'll stop me, turn me around, and send me straight back in. And that is what Christ does for us. That as, that as our Lord and Savior, He shepherds us. He keeps us within the bounds of God's will. He uses His rod and His staff, which is His cross. The rod that protects us from sin, death, and the power of the devil that destroys death, that conquers the wolves that would snatch us up and scatter us. His cross destroys all those things for us. And it keeps us safe, stay safe within God's bounds. So that when we see his cross, we see what he has done for us, we can join with St. Peter from our... From our um, from our uh, New Testament text and say he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to, to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And it's interesting that word overseer is a name for pastor. Pastor is the word for, for shepherd. So this text is as much for us pastors as it is for the sheep. I wonder if this text was chosen not long after the Easter season. or after, It's still in the Easter season, but after Easter Sunday. When, of course, numbers kind of dwindle, right? 
And sometimes pastors can get a little nervous and we say, oh, what do we got to do to get those people back? What do we got to do to make sure that we get the numbers up? It can be a temptation for us to think that we are the good shepherd, but it reminds us that we're not. We're under shepherds. We're sheepdogs. If you'd like, we're giant donkeys. Whichever. We only do what the good shepherd tells us to do. The stole that we wear says that we carry the yoke of Christ. We go where he leads us. Right? And this text is as much for pastors as the sheep because pastors can be tempted to sometimes say, well, they'll see the wolf coming. And sometimes that wolf is dwindling people. Not as many people come to church anymore. And in some ways, the pastors do what they think is right, thinking that they are the good shepherd, and they lead the people inadvertently away from Christ because they'll forsake good and sound doctrine, good teaching. Say, well, we're not going to emphasize baptism so much because we don't want to offend somebody. We're not going to emphasize the Lord's Supper so much because we don't want to offend people. We'd like to just kind of keep them around a little bit and then show them. But when we do that, we wind up doing exactly what the wolf does or seeks to do, to snatch up the sheep and scatter them according to every wind and wave of doctrine. When you circumvent the providence of Christ and his care as the good shepherd, to gather the sheep as you see fit, apart from his authority, you wind up playing into the wolves' jaws and you scatter Christ's sheep. So what do we do when we're in danger of this? What do we do when we have these other voices calling out and sometimes sounding louder than the voice of Christ? Because Christ says... I know my own, and my own know me. That they hear my voice, and they follow me. In this world, there's a lot of voices swirling all around. I would imagine that most of them are actually saying some form of, did God really say? Did God really say that you should go to church every Sunday? Did God really say that you should be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Did God really say that you should eat and drink his body and his blood for the forgiveness of your sins? Did God really say that he loves you? Did God really say that he forgives you for that? Well, I don't know. These voices surround us and they call to us. They are the voices of wolves, and demons, devils that seek to do nothing but devour you. So what do we do? Well, the voice of the good shepherd cuts through that noise. The voice of the good shepherd calls to you and says, you are mine. It says, I have died for you. I have shed my blood to cover your sins. That your sins were once as red as scarlet, but now they are white as snow. You are cleansed. You are mine. The voice of Christ cuts through the noise 
And knowing his voice helps you recognize the murderous and lying voices of those wolves and of the hired hand that would seek to lead you astray deceptively, not knowing what they're doing. The, good, the, voice, of, the voice of the good shepherd shows us what is real. It is that light that shines on sin and on salvation that points us in the way that we should go. That the more we are in the voice of God's word, the more we're able to, to know the difference. The more we're able to answer that voice that says, did God really say? You say, yes. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written that you are saved, that Christ has died for you, that he takes care of you, that as his sheep, he will not abandon you. He will seek you out, that if you stray, know that there's no bounds to him finding you. In some sense, as St. Augustine said, he called God the hound of heaven. He tracks you down. He's always trying to get at you if you're straying. And you know what his will is if you hear his voice. So brothers and sisters in Christ, may you know his voice. May you hear it day to day, if not week to week, knowing that Christ has died for you, knowing that Christ loves you as the good shepherd. He has laid down his life for you, his sheep. And in that way, by laying down his life and dying, he has conquered sin, death, and the power of the devil for your sake. Amen. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And the peace of God, uh, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.